Nearly 18 minutes past eight. And if Iran wants to fight, that will be the official end of Iran. US President Donald Trump's rather provocative tweet on Sunday. The post followed the firing of a rocket into the heavily fortified green zone in Baghdad, Iraq, While there were no reported casualties, there hasn't been any claim of responsibility either. Uh, For further discussion, let's welcome on the line Benam Bentaleblu, senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies, focusing on Iranian security. Thank you very much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. Can you just first perhaps explain this dynamic? We have Iraq, which was the location of a long series of confrontations and conflict uh, involving the United States. Uh, Now the center of this crisis, it seems, between Iran and the United States. Well, that's right. Uh, Iraq is actually one theater of many. Uh, That is uh, something I would call a contested domain between America and Iran. You know, they both have fundamentally different approaches to the Middle East. The United States is looking to kind of lock in and keep and defend the status quo in the Middle East. Iran, ever since the Islamic Revolution in 1979, has been looking to turn the street against the state and fundamentally overturn and change the balance of power in the region. And that's something it continues to do through more innovative ways and the ways that plays to its conventional military deficiencies and asymmetric military strengths. And there's other theaters of conflict, of course, like the Persian Gulf. You know, you heard about the naval harassment recently. Uh, there's Syria, matters very much. There's the nuclear domain, where, you know, they both play a game of chicken. But Iraq matters not just because it was a country that America has fought in and been involved in for quite some time, but because before America, Iran was uh, fighting there, and Iran was involved there. You know, we all remember President Bush in 2003 in the U.S. um, looking to topple the government of Saddam Hussein. But few remember that in the early 1980s, even though Iran fought an initially defensive war against Saddam Hussein's Iraq from 1980 to 1982, from 1982 to 1988, for six years, Iran fought an offensive war, looking to topple Saddam Hussein and export the Islamic Revolution through the barrel of a gun. And uh, because of the impact of the Iran-Iraq war on Iran's national security strategy, psyche, deterrence logic, uh, Iran is slated to intervene in that country for the foreseeable future and wants Baghdad to be fundamentally weak. The U.S. does not. These countries have supported rival factions, rival politicians, and now Iran is looking to use a constellation of uh, Iran-backed Shia militias and pro-Iran parliamentarians and this broader Iran threat network in Iraq to contest America and to eventually make it look like Iran kicked America out of Iraq. What do you make of President Trump's latest move? Uh, We've had years then of tensions, of conflict, but suddenly it, it does look a bit like playing with fire to be releasing statements like talking about the official end of Iran. Yeah, I definitely do see that uh, type of rhetoric as uh, considerably more escalatory than several other U.S. administrations in the past, be it Democrats or Republicans. But I think there's a there's a context here that we cannot forget, and the context is, in my view, looking to be part of this broader max pressure campaign. For the past one year, America has had remarkable success, actually, in resurrecting the economic sanctions architecture that existed on Iran that was waived by the nuclear deal and to unilaterally put pressure on Iran. 
And then militarily, of course, the U.S. is moving more assets into the region, making up for deficiencies in the U.S. force posture in the region to send Iran a strong deterrent message. And this, in, 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 some, in some unique way, is a rhetorical add-on to that policy. And I'm sure uh, many of your listeners are fam- famous, uh, have heard about this famous uh, age-old statement by former U.S. President Theodore Roosevelt, who said, speak softly and carry a big stick. This is America kind of turning, this is the Trump administration, I should say, turning that statement a bit on its head and uh, speaking loudly whilst carrying uh, a big stick. And the goal, of course, of this rhetoric, of this big stick, of these sanctions, is to get Iran back to the negotiating table and to actually have a genuinely comprehensive deal and not a limited nuclear-only deal. And while it may look risky, and even leaving the nuclear deal, I would say, was high risk, high reward, and it was something that, even though I'm a proponent of pressure on Iran, I do not, uh, I did not approve of at the time. Um, now that that's happened, uh, Washington should not be in the business of crying over spilled milk, and should be in the business of signaling that it's willing to take on more risks as it looks to stem and prevent a conflict with Iran by getting that broader deal, as opposed to starting a conflict. And I think that sometimes gets missed in the media. Understood. We might be reminded then of President Trump's fire and fury rhetoric against North Korea, the maximum pressure that led to some very positive rounds of dialogue. Of course, we still haven't seen a positive conclusion there. But um, speaking of that North Korea comparison, let's just actually listen to a clip of President Trump speaking on Fox News this past Sunday. I don't think I told him when I left Vietnam when we had the summit. I said to I said to Chairman Kim, and I think very importantly, I said, look, you're not ready for a deal because he wanted to get rid of one or two sites, but he has five sites. I said, what about the other three sites? That's no good. We're going to make a deal. Let's make a real deal. But they haven't had any tests over the last two years. It's zero. There's a chart and it shows 24 tests, 22 tests, 18 tests. Then I come and once I'm there for a little while, you know, we went through a pretty rough rhetorical period. But once I'm there for a little while, no test, no test, no test. So let's see what happens. So but, I, I but you cannot to... let Iran have nuclear weapons. Okay, so there's this long celebration of a North Korea policy, even, of course, ignoring the recent short-range missile tests. Um, perhaps we'll give him that, given that they've been of a different nature to the um, long-range testing that we saw previously. But, but, but... Ben Amben uh, Talablu, if I could ask you how that relates to Iran, do you, do you think it's dangerous to make that comparison, given how different these regimes are? No, I, I don't think it's dangerous to make that comparison. I think there there are obviously some differences, but you know we should note that you know both Tehran and Pyongyang are nuclear possessing or nuclear inclined rogue regimes with fundamentally different visions of the regional security architecture that they tend to inhabit, be it in Northeast Asia or in the Middle East. So that's that's the first thing. The second is that there has been a long-standing conventional military relationship between these two countries, and much of the prowess of Iran's missile program does, in fact, come from Pyongyang. Um, that being said, the Trump administration has taken a, a tough line with both of them. My only fear or cautionary note here is to, to not engage in premature diplomacy with the regime in Tehran the way the administration in Washington has uh, hinted that it may be willing to continue to do so post-Hanoi uh, with the Kim regime. And, and the reason is, 
when you have a max pressure campaign, diplomatic openings need to be worth something. It cannot be a photo op for the sake of a photo op. It's important to engage in threat reduction. It's important to manage and put a cap and put boundaries for escalation to make sure things don't get out of control, especially when there is heated rhetoric. But at the same time, uh, there needs to be a point to the policy, and the point to the policy cannot be uh, a photo op or, or a deal for the sake of a deal, because that's how Washington entered the Iran negotiations. It, it signaled that it was coveting agreement above coveting a good agreement, and I think that's how the Iranians entered the nuclear negotiations in 2013 with a weak hand, and that's how they left the nuclear negotiations in 2015 with a strong hand. I'm sure North Korea and Iran trade uh, you know, stats about what it's like to negotiate with the United States of America under different administrations. I'm sure there's a st- steep learning curve uh, on, on both sides. Uh, both states are, as you mentioned, subject to a max pressure campaign. But it really remains to be seen uh, which one will yield more success. We went from a more coercive policy towards a more engagement kind of policy with North Korea, uh, albeit selectively and briefly. And vis-a-vis Iran, we've been kind of moving towards more coercive diplomacy and and doubling down on things like deterrence. So it remains to see which strand of max pressure uh, will yield more success by the end of uh, term one of the Trump administration. Of course, the debate is happening not just around the world, but even just within the United States. Uh, Republican Senator Lindsey Graham uh, tweeting, uh, it's clear that over the last several weeks, Iran has attacked pipelines and ships of other nations and created threat streams against American interests in Iraq. Um, and, And talking about an overwhelming military response, that sounded pretty strong, but uh, from the Democrat side, we've seen Representative Ruben Gallego saying that's not what is being said. This is total information bias. And uh, another Democrat, Senator Chris Murphy, saying no one should defend the actions Iran has taken, but dumb wars start when each party mistakenly believes that the other party's defensive or reactive actions are actually offensive and proactive. Can you just finish by addressing for us this U.S. debate that's ongoing and, and who's likely to prevail? Well, I think the the faction or, or the, the political group that's likely to prevail is going to be the one that is most grounded in reality. The problem is reality uh, is, is shifting right now. I do take umbrage with some of the uh, previous senators' comments, particularly Murphy, because it's not just how dumb wars start. If you look at human history, perception and misperce- misperception has always been a problem. There's always been a perception problem across multiple countries for, for millennia. States do perceive, uh, as he said, sometimes hostile or defensive intentions as, as uh, revisionist and or offensive. The problem here is this isn't a one-off with Iran. The problem with Iran is that conceptually Murphy is right, but implied to Iran, it, it, it would I would say it's, with respect, incorrect. Thank you and very much, Ben. I'm Ben Taleblu. I've got to jump in at that pause because we're out of time. I don't want the, uh, the radio closing here to take over from your voice. It's been great to hear from you.